Hello, and welcome to the Early American Brass Band Podcast. I'm Chris Triano, joined always by Stephen Canistracy. Hello. And this is episode number eight, where we'll be discussing Civil War brass bands with George Mason University trumpet professor Dr. Dennis Edelbrock. Dr. Edelbrock is the professor, as I just mentioned, of applied trumpet at George Mason University. He's retired from the United States Army Band in Washington, D.C., the Army Brass Quintet, the Herald Trumpets. He's also the founder of the International Trumpet Competition and is featured on the Civil War Brass album by Classical Brass, Honor to Our Soldiers, and appeared as a member of the Marine Band in the Steven Spielberg film, Lincoln. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff there. Yeah, a long list, but fantastic person. We, you know, Steven and I know Dr. Edelbrock very well uh, from George Mason University, and hearing him talk about his passions, uh, both with the military, with the Army, and with all these various early brass projects that I just mentioned, it, it's really refreshing to hear his passion. Yeah, it was great to hear his stories, uh, especially about being involved with the movie Lincoln. Um, that's something that is really neat uh, for a, a real, you know, live musician to be involved in a major motion picture. That's not always the case. Um, and I was really glad to hear stories that um, kind of supported how I hoped that project went for the band. So I really enjoyed that part of the conversation. Yeah, it's really uh, an optimistic and positive, you know, outlook on, on a lot of things that are happening in the in the field that is definitely refreshing and, and enjoyable to hear. Before we jump into the interview with Dr. Edelbrock, I'd like to first give a quick mention to some of our friends out there in the world of podcasts. A great podcast uh, we really want you guys to check out is called Addressing Gettysburg. This podcast uh, releases both shorter segments of information as well as longer narrative episodes that are done really, really well, all about the Battle of Gettysburg, but then also the city of Gettysburg as well. So we want you guys to go check out Addressing Gettysburg. And then another uh, friend of ours that you guys should really check out is called History Tunes. They have a website and a Facebook that we'll link in our show notes. Uh, a lot of really great information about Civil War music and earlier. I believe they have music uh, information from the War of 1812 and the Revolutionary War as well. So please check out History Tunes uh, on their website and Facebook linked in the show notes. And without further ado, here is the interview with Dr. Dennis Elbrock from George Mason University. All right, we would like to welcome Dr. Dennis Edelbrock to the Early American Brass Band Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us this afternoon. My pleasure, guys. It's always welcome. It's always fun to be around people that are as passionate and enthusiastic and as professional as you guys are. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) We'll see how the interview goes. You might have to take that back, but (laughs) hopefully it hangs on. I think think we'll be just fine. (laughs) Thank you. Awesome. So I think... Uh, the the usual format, I guess, of our interviews has kind of been going somewhat chronologically. So if you don't mind, can you tell us a little bit about uh, how you got into music, maybe when you started playing the trumpet and where you attended school, you know, those types of early details? Yeah, absolutely, Chris. Uh, as it turns out, both my uh, parents are were musicians are now gone. My dad was my first band director and my trumpet teacher, and my mom was my piano teacher. So we had a little summer music camp and stuff. And uh, gosh, I was uh, able to join the union when I was in seventh grade. I started playing in a professional concert band when I was in ninth grade. Wow. So this was all on trumpet, right? Not not cornet that early on? Correct, trumpet. So I have a really long heritage of band playing, band performing, band literature, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Very cool, very cool. And I know that... You were a member of the United States Army Band in Washington, D.C. Was there uh, a family connection to the military also, or were you kind of the, the first one to... Well, yes and no. My dad was drafted during World War II, and uh, once they found out he had a college degree and could lead a you know, was a band officer, could be a band, he went to Fort McNair to get uh, to audition with the Army Band. What they would do, he was a warrant officer. Uh, or they made him a war officer. You, you take like an eight-week course. They want to make sure that you can start and conduct the national anthem. And he, oh, I've got tons of stories I won't go into. I'm just <laughs> crazy stuff they ended up doing, you know. Yeah, wow. Yeah. That's stuff, stuff he had to do as a band leader. It's not like, you know. Yeah, so you had grown up being familiar with military music and, and all that. So was the uh, 
your audition for the army band something that you saw coming or what what was that experience like yes i had just graduated from the university of iowa with the music ed degree and i was all set to go to northwestern and work with vincent chikowitz famous trumpet teacher of mm -hmm. my generation chicago Symphony, the whole big deal and i got a call from a buddy of mine who was a bass trombone player who had just graduated from the, uh, iowa and was out in the band and said, hey, you know what? They have an army brass quintet, which no one really had ever heard of before because they were still basically getting new, uh, getting formed. Mm -hmm. And he said, you might want to come out and take an audition. So I said, well, you know, we have nothing to lose. I sent in my tape and they flew me out. Mm -hmm. So I came out here and I sat in with a quintet and uh, they played chord note triplets and it kind of stopped my heart. I oh. never played uh, with five musicians. It sounded like one, three, four. Wow. Not, so not on that level anymore. Mm -hmm. So was that audition, that was uh, specifically for the brass quintet, or that was just a component of the audition for the band? Right, I'm glad you asked. Uh, I went through a 45-minute audition, uh, a solo audition, uh, and before that, once I passed that, um, and they tortured me with tons of sword sight reading, uh, the, 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 I sat in with a quintet for half an hour. So Very cool. So then, while you were with the Army and doing a lot of the quintet stuff, so obviously you were just kind of alluding to doing a lot of ceremonial work as well right so i'm sure you spent a, a fair amount of time in arlington i do in fact i have two records that will most likely never be broken uh the most taps played over ten thousand, oh, uh, and the most yeah. miles traveled to play one taps i flew all the way to kuwait after gulf one to Whoa. play uh, taps with the royal family in kuwait wow are, are those military records or are those air are uh, army records? They're army records. Yeah, they're uh, unofficial army records. Yeah, yeah, that's incredible. There's nobody that's awesome. Keeps stuff like that. Yeah. You have a you have a plaque or anything in the in Brucker Hall? <laughs> uh, no, no, I should though. Yeah, the most tabs played. Oh yeah, my yeah. gosh, yeah. Great. Yeah. Now you you also were involved with the Herald Trumpets with Pershing Zone, right? Was that something that right. was there when you won the position, or did that group start after you had gotten into the band? Um, no, that's, that group started uh, with uh, the Queen uh, in, in presence um, in 1958, I think it was. It okay. opened St. Lawrence Seaway or something. They put it through a section together, and uh, there was a um, lieutenant colonel, uh, adjutant, Gil Mitchell was his name, who was a trumpet player, played in the New Orleans Philharmonic, and then got drafted, I think, during maybe Korea, came in. and uh, But he just loved the British history and the tradition all the stuff the british guys do you know they do their salutes and it takes them 20 minutes you know and all that yeah, stuff there you go. Yeah. and then, you know what could be more irresistible than a trumpet with a flag on it with your you know so uh so he put it together um with uh, another guy in the band who was very uh, very psyched about it and uh and honestly that's the reason we have hail columbia is the vice president's march because uh gil mitchell picked that out you guys probably don't know that I have a copy of the letter from then Vice President Nixon. Oh, wow. Um, so they played that and said, hey, you guys like that? And said, yeah, this is a keeper. And then they got to pass a resolution through Congress and the whole deal. So it became the official Vice President's March. That's really No one ever knows it. The only time you'd ever hear it is possibly in an inaugural, you know. That's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I know a lot of our listeners, you know, are going to be familiar with Hail Columbia as being one of uh, the right. yeah one of the, See, there, the, the potential anthems in the there, running for the yeah, national anthem. there is a civil war tie you sneaky rascal yeah, you, <laughs> yeah good for you good exactly. for you guys yeah absolutely well, that's where it came from because it was very popular one time of course yeah definitely I, I didn't actually know that it was attached to a vice president as late as nixon i actually thought that it was a tradition right. earlier than that but yeah that's really interesting now it's not Taylor Swift, but back in its day, it was a uh, pretty pot, a uh, pretty popular, right? Yeah, might as well have been, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> particular uh, memory that you maybe hold closest to your heart in terms of Harold Trumpet performances? 
Um, well, there's so many. I mean, after you played Olympics and Super Bowls and all this, you know, standing right next to presidents. And, um, one that comes to mind is I wrote a fanfare that we well, they still use. Uh, uh, salute to a new beginning. Have you guys heard that? Yeah, I've, yeah. yeah. They, they came. To, they came to Mason once and uh, did a concert and they played it. Correct. Yeah, a couple of years ago. Um, yeah. Anyway, I wrote that when uh, when Reagan won the election. His um, uh, I can't remember his campaign speech. It was something uh, something about a, a great new beginning. Hmm. Uh, so I thought, you know, let's just have some fun. Write something that's got some. Well, they're honestly rock and roll rhythm. Bum 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 bum. You know, kind of jazzy, whatever you want to call them. Hmm. Uh, and everybody's kind of looking at me like, "Are you crazy? We just played this." Stuff by dead British guys. Yeah, we do. don't play anything. That well, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, Elgar no, and all that. And that, it's all wonderful. Don't you know? But I'm going. You know what? This guy he loves show business. He was a big time actor. I guess you guys know that, oh, yeah, right? Definitely. Yeah, big yeah. time. Oh my gosh. Yeah, he was a household name. You know. I thought. You know what? Do we have to lose? I mean, if the colonel won't play it, he won't play it. I don't. I can't order him to. Mm-hmm. And once the guys finally got it rehearsed, um, we played it and it went really well. And we got a note from the White House and it ended up with mentioning in Time Magazine. And I mentioned in the, uh, gosh, what's the Reagan book? Um, uh, the greatest role or something role like his in cast play or something. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's mentioned in there. Um, and I dedicated it to his administration. Well, once he found out about that, and it most likely it was, you know, his uh, chief of staff. Yeah, they yeah, invited the sure. Herald over to the White House. And I have a picture, a really cool picture of me shaking hands with him. Oh, wow. And the Rose Garden. That's awesome. Stay, standing at attention the best you can and still shaking. <laughs> That's great. And, and, and he, you know, uh, I got to know him a little bit because we're around him quite a bit. And he just, oh, my gosh, he just loved hanging out with the guys. That's you know, awesome. He wasn't at all above anybody. It didn't matter. The guy cleaning the restroom or polishing the furniture. He was just one of those guys, you know. Yeah. yeah anyway, awesome. so he invites us over. We're over there, and, and, and I'm introduced by the call. This is Sergeant Edelbrock, blah, blah, blah. You know, and he goes, oh, really? Well, let me tell you about the time I was in the band. And he went to a boys' school in, I think, Elgin, Illinois. He grew up in northern Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was in eighth grade, and he was the uh, drum major, okay, which meant he carried the big stick, right, the mace. You guys know mm-hmm. about that, right? Mm-hmm. And was out in front of the band. Well, they were doing they were doing a parade one time. He's out front waving his feet. Mr. Proud, you know, he didn't play an instrument, but I don't know how he got that position. But yeah. anyway, the parade marshal was on horseback, comes up and tells the band director something, but Reagan can't hear because he's in front of the band. The band director is marching along next to the front rank. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay, clip-clop of horses and, you know, crowd cheers and all that stuff he doesn't hear well he keeps going on and after, after a couple blocks the band is getting more faint and more faint and, and he looked around. They, they, they changed the parade route for some reason i don't know and they made a corner and he didn't get the word they oh, turned wow. so he's out front like looking like he owns the place there's no band behind in fact there's no parade behind him yeah. you know but people laughing at so he said, that was it he was out of the band at that point and he told, you know he's so famous for self-deprecating humor mm-hmm and that's just so characteristic of everything I've ever heard about him or read about it. So do you think that that piece that you wrote for the Heralds is one of the earliest original American compositions for the Herald trumpets? Uh, yes. There were a few others that came from other composers in the band. Um, but as you guys know, uh, the Herald trumpets, um, well, whew, I get a little emotional talking about that. There's no other group in the world that plays like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, all the other service bands, you know, the British, all the... Uh, all the guard bands have heralds. I mean, you know, uh, Disney has heralds, but uh, they just, you know, our heralds are really pretty special. They put you on know, quite a show and oh my sounds God. fantastic. You yeah. Yeah. nice E flat sizzling out on those guys. Oh my, it's, uh, it's, well, the word we'd like to use is accelerated. Yeah. You that yeah. Up close and you'll never forget it. years ago i had a great experience um at at eastman they have an arts leadership program and you have to do two internships to graduate with that certificate and i was able to shadow 
the army band for about a month and a half during the summer. Oh. And um, th- <laughs> I, I was down there around the time. Um, well, I was there for the 4th of July and they do that big capital fourth concert yes. by, the, by the Capitol. And I was able to, to be with the heralds for most of the day. Oh, and really? then in, you know, I wasn't ever on camera, but um, uh, yeah, I mean, those guys in the rehearsal, it was just like so professional and they just, they went on, they laid it down and they went off and it was, it was perfect. And I was like, yeah, like that's, that's how you do it right there. There's something about those guys, you know, they don't go through their scientific warmups and they just roll your eyes. Where do you want us to play? And you right. get the marks out. They're always marks for the guys, you know, yeah. so it looks perfect on camera. And they just walk out and play and go, really? I mean, I need my warm-up, man. No, <laughs> and the best part about that job, though, is you get police, uh, a police escort to the job. You know about that, right? You remember that? Or yeah. Were you on the bus? I, with I, them? I, I was on the bus with him. Yeah. <laughs> That's the good stuff, man. Yeah. You don't have to be there eight hours early because of parking or traffic. Boom, you go in with. Oh yeah, man. That's. It's the way all artists ought to be treated, right? <laughs> yeah, there you go. definitely. Maybe in our next life, right, guys? Yeah. <laughs> we can only hope. We know that you were involved with a recording project with the Classical Brass on an album, Honor to Our Soldiers. I think that recording came out in 1991. Uh, yeah. But that but that actual quintet, Classical Brass, uh, is there actually a, a difference with that group and the Army Brass Quintet, or is that kind of just the, uh, the 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 public name that you guys were allowed to use to get a CD out? <laughs> like you said, the difference was the costumes. Yeah, one, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, one is Cox and one is yeah. It's the same five guys. Uh, we just love working together, Chris. You know, and that's one of the things you guys know. Chamber music is the music of musicians, right? For because sure. you make all the decisions: how fast you to play it, how loud. Are you going to rubato here? You know, all those decisions. There's no conductor to tell you what to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the, the good news is you got complete freedom. The bad news is, you know, you got to make decisions and everybody has to go along with it. Yeah, know? yeah, for sure. And have five guys being right all the time, you know. Yeah. Were there any recordings by Classical Brass prior to the Honor to Our Soldiers album? Or is that your first recording project? That was our first recording project, yeah. Gotcha. And we got into that because of uh, a recording engineer I had worked with downtown with the... Uh, Washington Chamber Symphony, um, and and I put it together with Mark, who was really excited about it. Mm-hmm. Mark L. I'm sorry, Mark. That's Mark Elrod. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. right. And uh, we got to talking. I said, "Oh yeah, you got to do this. I'll give the horns. I'll give the music. I'll coach you. Whatever you need. Boom. It's a done deal." I thought, you know what? This is supposed to happen. So we did it on a spec deal, right? So Greg, um, the guy, the recording engineer, shopped it around and finally got a contract uh, from um, American Heritage Society. And they re-released it recently, you know. Anyway, so he said, hey, he shopped that around to American Heritage Society. He said, yeah, send it to us, and we'll, we'll look at it. So at that point, we, you know, we could have done all that work and not ever gotten a penny out of it, which, you know, you don't go into music to make money, <laughs> not classical music, or certainly Civil War music. <laughs> uh, so we just got psyched and thought, you know what, we got a shot at this, you know. So the so the project was recorded, and then you worked on getting it released after the work was already done. Correct. That's a spec deal. In other words, we didn't have the name that Columbia Artist or American Heritage said, "Oh yeah, get those guys. We'll pay them." You know, blah blah blah. They say, "Hey, show us the finished product. Let's see if we think it's saleable." Which I understand. You know, we were mm-hmm. basically unknown quantity. You know, and and as you're saying, mostly came about as a passion project from the recording engineer oh. and Mark Elrod. Yes. Mark Elrod has that passion, as do we. And the recording engineer had really good contact with American Heritage. So they kind of took his word for things. Or, you know, if he called them, they'll listen. If I called them, they said, oh, yeah, right. Well, they wouldn't even refer to the call, most likely. (laughs) And I don't mean to diss American Heritage because they're great. But, you know, I mean, it's some of you, they get calls like, oh, my gosh, countless calls. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Starving artists. Sometimes they're fabulous. Sometimes they're, you know, people that play for their own, uh, you know, their own, you know, excitement, as we say. Mm Now, would you yeah. say that the the goal of the recording project was to get a recording of the title piece, the honor to our soldiers, and then the other pieces were kind of in as filler? Or uh, uh, yeah, yes and no. Um, the the title honor to our soldiers uh, is something I think I suggested, but I could be wrong. The piece that uh, that 
we'll get into the history of that in a minute. Uh, it just had a nice ring to it, honoring, you know, the Civil War people, you know, the whole deal. And that was right about the height of the rebirth of the Civil War stuff after Glory came around and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And the Ken Burns documentary was in 1990, so it was right. coming out right after that. Yeah. Right. Hey, and that reminds me, that, uh, what's the what's the name, what was the theme song that was played through all that? All, uh, the Ashokan Farewell. Farewell. Right. Do you guys know where that came from? Yeah, it's uh, not a Civil War tune. It, it was written right. in the 80s, right? Right. Well, I don't know when. I thought yeah. it's probably a little earlier, but it was a. It's a like a farewell tune, kind of alma mater from a music camp up in upstate New York somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't yeah, know. I think, Jay Unger, I think, yeah, is Jay, the guy who yeah, wrote it. That, yeah. That sounds, you guys have done your homework. It's, it's <laughs> the most. What's that? I was going to say it's the most famous non-Civil War Civil War song. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and it makes you want to go get some hard tack and water and live it yeah, up. Exactly. You know, and listen, right? For sure. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah. So that, that piece was on, you know, be on the radio or something. You'd be behind a, you know, a commercial or something, you know, mm-hmm. and kind of everybody knew what it was anyway. So. Yeah. Can, yeah. can you get into a little bit about the history of that title track and why you thought it was significant to choose that as the, the title of the album? Yes, and that's uh, thanks for asking because that's really kind of a neat story. Uh, Mark um, Mark Elrod, who we owe that recorded to in many many ways now, um, is really quite an historian. I don't know how much you guys know about him, but I know Chris, you've seen his amazing uh, collection, which I think rivals from my, what I've heard, and not just from Mark, uh, that it rivals the Smithsonian collection. Uh, so you know, he's got I don't know, maybe fifteen E flat. Um, uh, gosh. Uh, key bugles and the whole army goes oh, on yeah. on. Yeah. Um, anyway, he can tell you, for instance, uh, exactly the the band instrumentation that went up to Gettysburg on the train with President Lincoln. He's got the manifest, you know, I mean, it's unbelievable. He actually owns a tuba that was owned by the Marine Band. Wow. And, and could have been on that trip. He's got the serial number, he's got the invoice, he's got every. You just kind of go, wow, this is unbelievable. Yeah, wow. Uh, anyway, so uh, he dug that up and said, oh, guys, I, I just found this, you know, doing some research, and we played through it. It's just a very simple hymn. Not, the music itself is not extraordinary, but the story really is. Um, and it had to do, uh, it was going to be premiered the night that Lincoln was assassinated at Ford's Theater. And it was going to be premiered by an actress whose name was Laura Keene, who was a sort of self-made singer. She wasn't really well known as a singer and didn't do much of it. So she was a little skittish about it to begin with, which we can all understand. She had a big name as an actress. And I Googled her just the other day because I knew we were going to talk. And she apparently was quite an entrepreneur, actress and um what do you call it? Uh, Self-promoter or something? Well, yeah, but she actually ran and eventually owned at least one theater. Put you know, So she was owner, producer, actress when necessary. You know, uh, she was really pretty amazing lady. Anyway, so she was on to star. So that was a big deal to have her. That's what I'm trying to say. You know, she was, she was like a big star in that, in that era. Mm-hmm. So she was hired to play Our American Cousins. And uh, John Wilkes Booth, of course, assassin. Uh, well, this, the idea was she was going to sing Honor to Your Soul, Honor to... Uh, the soldiers during the first act. Well, she got kind of stage fright. And so um, William, uh, who, the band leader, uh, uh, William Withers, uh, uh, said, hey, all right, no worries, don't freak out. You know, over the voice tube, you know, voice tube is, right? They could call down to the orchestra pit. It's like you have on old steamships, the okay. colonel, the, well, the captain could, vo- it's a tube that goes all the way down to the engine. So he can say full, full speed ahead or whatever. Anyway, so they called down to him and said, oh, you know, Mr. Withers, you know, she's not willing to sing, you know, she's freaked out, whatever. He said, no worries, we'll just do it as an entree act, you know, during the second act or something. Give her a chance to kind of walk off stage, get a drink of water, calm her down. Anyway, so, of course, as you probably know, uh, Lincoln was shot during the second act. So the thing was never premiered. Okay. And they want to do it with Lincoln in there because that's, you know, he was there. I mean, how what a cool thing to honor something like that, honor all these I don't know, 700,000, you know, uh, deaths in the Civil War. Oh my gosh, it just goes on and on. So um, at that point, you guys probably know the rest of the story. He he comes down, he jumps out of the president's box onto the stage, hurts his leg pretty severely, goes through the goes through all the tunnels to get out. He knows the state, the theater, because he's an actor himself, right? Um, and uh, so at that point, she goes up to the Lincoln box, right? And his head is on her lap while he's dying. Now, I don't know whether they had any kind of personal connection or she just felt response. Uh, who knows what, 
But I mean, it's really a pretty amazing part of history. Yeah. yeah. And then so anyway, I think that original, uh, uh, the original composition was not intended for brass band, right? So what, uh, or who, I guess is the better question, well, was, was responsible for arranging the, the version that you guys ended oh. up performing on the recording? Um, now that's a good question. Uh, I think Mark, I can't remember if Mark gave us like a hymn up, like a piano arrangement you'd play behind a singer. I don't know if he did that and maybe I did it or if he had, I, I honestly don't know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I just don't remember. So then where did the other music on the album come from? Where did you guys find all that stuff? Uh, well, <laughs> thank you, Mark Elrod. Yeah. yeah. Most of it came from the, uh, the 26th North Carolina regimental band book, which you Got guys it. probably know. Yeah, we've mentioned them, that band in particular, on maybe every episode, but if not, pretty close. Oh, okay. Well, you <laughs> yeah, know they, they, they come up a lot. Oh, my gosh. You know, they went into Gettysburg with flags waving. That band was there blaring. Oh, my gosh. You know, can you imagine trying to play in tune and people shooting at you? Yeah. Oh, wow. I, I, mean, yeah, I mean, the whole thing is just the more you know about this, well, you know, the more you love history, the more you, you realize those, what those people were made out of. And, God, you know, there's so much at stake and, you know. Yeah. I just looked through the liner notes of uh, your CD really quickly and saw oh. that Honor to Our Soldiers on that recording was arranged for a brass band by Paul Mayberry. Oh, okay, yeah. He's kind of a big name in the arranging businesses. Yeah, know? yeah, for sure. There's a lot yeah, of yeah, stuff. Yeah. Definitely. A lot of period music, very very reputable mm -hmm. gotcha. and talented guy. Uh huh. Do you recall if when you guys were recording this album, were you guys reading off of the original manuscript of the, the music or were you reading um, new engraved parts? I know that was a while ago. But... Um, yeah, um, I think it was a combination. Uh, okay. I think we had access and maybe played off of some facsimiles of the original book. And some of them had, I think, had been uh, transcribed, you know, and put in, uh, you know, whatever music notation like stuff like we use now, you know, those formats. Right. So it was more readable. Gotcha. But that, that book is, is probably the standard or most standard of any of the surviving um, Civil War music. You guys probably know that. I mean, there may be people that argue about it, but it's certainly one of them, if not the, and Mark, of course, knew that. So, um, and you guys know, you know, there are a lot of opera overtures, you know, we owe so much, uh, you know, the, those band guys who are so talented because they're playing opera overtures on the same concert with these little silly marches, you know, <laughs> where yeah. the, I always think about the tenor in, in the baritone uh, players, you know, the tenor would be like our French horn, you know, or alto, excuse me, because <laughs> most of it's button, 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 you know what I mean? But, uh, it, it, you know, especially those cornet parts, they're, and there's no rest. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I know Mark Elrod is the one that helped obtain that all that music for you. Was he also the one that kind of selected what was actually played, or was the quintet allowed to pick what was actually recorded? Well, a little of both. Uh, no one, is, I don't recall he ever told us, but he said, hey, you might want to play this. Was This was very popular. Uh, during the, you know, the Civil War, the Civil War era. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, did you guys record anything that didn't make the final cut? Are there any? Uh, no, we did that in three days. So okay. we had to have it all picked out and pretty much rehearsed. You know, so we had fifty-six minutes or whatever's on there. You know, mm -hmm. um, so we all had to take leave from the army band while we did it. You know, because it was going to potentially be a paid engagement. Right. So we're all on leave. You know which means that's time we can't have with our family. So that really focuses, focuses you on how you use your time. Yeah, <laughs> right. But that's good though, you know, cause we got, we knew exactly what we're doing. Well, I shouldn't go that far. You know, of course, <laughs> yeah. oh my gosh, the instruments break down, you know, oh, right. Oh uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Speaking was, of those instruments, did, were those also supplied by Mark Elrod? I, you know, he was really heavily involved. Right. And he let us have the pick of the litter. You know, he said, Hey, okay. this is the best tenor horn I got, best alto horn, blah, blah, blah. You know, very gotcha. cool. So yes. was it a, a deal where you guys went to his house and, and got to play a few horns first, or he just gave you those, those ones that he considered were the best? He, he gave us several. Uh, most of them were, he said, you know, like especially maybe the tuba. Uh, he said, this is by far maybe the best one I have in terms of playing ability. We don't care what it looked like, how, sure. how shot up it was, or, you know, um, you know, to us, it's really mm -hmm. about performance. Like, are they in tune? Are they consistent? Do they slot well? You know, are they consistent octave to octave? You guys probably know about that. Right. Sometimes well, yeah. you have to play uh, play some pretty serious games when you when you yeah. go up or down an octave on those babies. For sure. Yeah. What was the timeline like from when you guys first got your hand on those al uh, those instruments and then actually recorded the album? <laughs> Not too long. Really, only a couple of months. Um, mm -hmm. The funny part was uh, the first time I brought that up, the guys were rolling their eyes like, oh, yeah, 
yeah, we want to be known as Civil War guys, right? <laughs> yeah. Civil War stuff was just kind of coming back into vogue after the movie sure. Gloria. You know what I mean? So yeah, the glory, yeah. yeah. So it wasn't it wasn't like real cool to be running around playing bop and bop and bop bop bop. So uh, we got the horns and they're still rolling. Their eyes like, yeah, oh yeah, we want our reputation to be going on these things. Play so far out of, oh yeah, right. This will be cool. Yeah, really great idea, Denny. And we got settled in and they picked up, you know, saw the movie and all that stuff. And all of a sudden, it just kind of settled in. You know what? We can do this and we can make them sound good. So we worked yeah. really hard on that. That was weird. You know, you pick the horn up, you play it, and then you take it back after rehearsal's over, you know, so it, it kind of doesn't belong with you. So you have to learn quickly. You know, unfortunately, the guys are so careful about intonation and stuff, you know, that we uh, we worked it through. Yeah. So so you didn't get to hang on to the, the instruments between rehearsals? Well, it, yes and no. It depends on the situation. Sometimes he needed them back because he had a job. Oh, using one, yeah. And sometimes we were maybe able to keep them up so, for a month or so, you know. Gotcha. In fact, we got several, there might even be a, a critique in the International Trumpet Guild. Uh, there were some people thought we were not using authentic instruments. Without, they were using replicas. Well, that's a nice compliment. Well, it was, yeah. But now, we did uh, we did almost all use regular, our current mouthpieces. You know, oh, okay. Gotcha. And I know that's a big deal about Civil, so a Civil War aficionados. If you guys are putting your life on the lines every day playing Civil War mouthpieces, all I can say is God bless it, you know. Yeah. That's one compromise. If, if you want to call that a compromise that we made just to be just to be right. fair to yeah and then i also noticed that your recording doesn't utilize any percussion it's pure five brass on the cd correct yeah yeah right. very cool and then after the recording with classical brass for that album uh, did you guys return the instruments and and never look at the stuff again or did anything <laughs> come from uh that well no uh, a couple of other things came along yeah and i i was thinking um do you guys know who uh, uh Forgive my French. Saint Gaudin, Saint Gaudens, the uh, sculptor, probably mm -hmm. the most famous American. He, he's the one that sculpted the, I think, the silver dollar and maybe even the fifty, hundred dollar gold piece or something. Okay. Okay. Um, well, he uh, did a very famous, a whole bunch of Civil War. They call them reliefs. I think they're, they're sculptures on big plates. Um, okay. And his uh, sculpture of um, the fifty fourth Massachusetts Regiment, mm -hmm. which was the the story of the of glory right mm -hmm. and colonel robert uh, gould shaw mm -hmm. matthew um, broderick what's that <laughs> matthew broderick yes exactly <laughs> aka yeah, right yeah. <laughs> uh, the movie is incredible you know, of course he was killed in that you know unbelievable well this relief uh was coming to town to be exhibited at the smithsonian uh mm -hmm. excuse me um was it american history i can't remember anyway they brought it to town big fanfare because the movie it was the height of the civil war Mm -hmm. birthing mania what yeah, do you yeah. call it, you know mm -hmm. um and so we played it in i think it was on cbs morning with maybe charles corral i can't remember so we we played it in in grand style you know and some okay. stuff like that came along awesome and do you still have that cornet well he's given it to me now i it's a, it's a gift yeah very cool. He woke up. Mark was so sweet so he called me one morning so i just woke up to listen to your album got some tears in my eyes and said would you like to have this horn i said well yeah mark <laughs> well, we what is the horn? It's an E flat cornet, uh huh, unnamed. That, unnamed, gotcha. Right, and that, so that's bell front or over it the is bell front. Yeah, gotcha. uh, most likely from what Mark's told me because he's my authority on everything Civil War, right? Uh, probably if it was unnamed, it was probably made in Eastern Europe and probably uh, brought into the country by another company or something. Gotcha, gotcha. So kind of sort of under their name, you know, for sure. Yeah. yeah, that's really cool. I didn't know that there were other performances that you guys were able to do uh, after the album. So that's awesome that the yeah, well, I uh, occasionally get out and solo. I soloed with the Nova band I don't know, a year ago, so I'll get out and play a solo occasionally with a group or something like that. The on, problem, that on that cornet, yeah, cool, mm. yeah, in uniform. Do you have a Civil War uniform? Uh, I I have a friend that loaned me one, and Mark's got some he's loaned me, you know, gotcha, 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 right. Yeah, it's cool. funny you mentioned that the other guys in the quintet were maybe a little apprehensive about the project at first, based on the like the the music. Because at at you know if you if you're not really in it and listening to a lot of the music, you might think it's just kind of like simple tunes and simple marches. But then you sit down to play a lot of it, and like you said, those cornet parts are not easy. Oh my gosh, um, at all. Well, when you start getting into opera overtures and stuff, where, where everybody's going to end up with some melody, you know. Um, I think, well, they're not, they're not easy to play, especially on those instruments. So, you know, Civil War stuff wasn't really cool then. We were either behind or, or ahead or something of the wave, the power wave, which is not unusual for us. So, it, you know, it took a little convincing to get the guys to do it. 
first of all, we had to play them well enough that they could say, yeah, okay, we can go to record doing this. Right. You know, because you don't want to, first of all, waste your time if it's a spec deal. Oh, yeah, for sure. Right. Uh, It's really cool saying that you were a part of the second wave because we've, on this podcast, already discussed uh, Frederick Fennell and his involvement with the Eastman Wind Ensemble's recording in 1960. Right. How that music was kind of the first reawakening of this style of music for the uh, centennial, right? Of the but, Civil War. Right, it's a real Americana stuff, but of course a lot of the stuff is not American music. It's their opera overtures, but they yeah, were sort true. of Americanized by, you know, uh, by the great American band movement. Mm-hmm. And then I have a book that mentions how yeah, 1990, 1991 was the second revival, which is awesome to, to show that you're a part of that in terms of, uh, you know, the second awakening and realization of this type of music. And in that book, uh, he refers to it as the Ken Burns effect. So. Yeah, no, absolutely, big time. Um, but also, uh, you know, I really have to thank Mark, as I had before, and also uh, Greg uh, Greg Squires, who had those contacts at um, American Heritage, which made the fact that he could maybe get us, pop, you know, get us recorded, you know, commercially or whatever, released commercially, made it a realistic, you know, you know, like I said, if I called them, they, you know, they probably wouldn't have returned my call. So, <laughs> so it's always a question of putting things together, uh, being always very professional and friends with people, you know, and just being smart in the way we should be acting anyway. Yeah, they right. Mean. So there's a little, there's a little Sunday school lesson for you there, right? Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> we'll, we'll charge people for for access to that tidbit <laughs> for the podcast. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> it's true, though. It really is. And that's the only way this came around. You know, Mark had full faith in my ability and, and trusting me with these horns, you know, which are irreplaceable. Oh, yeah. Some of them aren't horribly valued, but I mean, they ain't making any more Civil War horns, right? Yeah, that definitely. Built in 1860. So we mentioned the kind of the, the second revival of this music sometimes being referred to as the Ken Burns effect. And uh, you were you were on screen in a movie, uh, Steven Spielberg's Lincoln. So how did you get the, how did you get involved with, with that project? Um, well, that's a good question. Uh, partly because of my contacts uh, with Mark Elrod and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the band leader that actually put the band together, more or less, was Don Johnson. And he ran a group, a Civil War band um, in Kentucky. And long story short, the guy that does uh, some of the music, um, that's what he called production work, or he'll find music like for the at uh, John Adams series, right? Adams series, mm-hmm. you guys remember that? Mm-hmm. Um, he chose the music for that, so he's like a music consultant. Does that yeah, make sense? Yeah, 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 they're yeah. doing a period, yeah, they'll want to know, hey, what's most likely kind of music that people would be going on at a barn dance in 1860, or what, uh, what would you hear at a, at a dinner party at John Quincy Adams' house, stuff like that, yeah, yeah, and he'll research it. And a lot of the stuff he already knows because he's smart guy you know just been around mm-hmm. so he got involved and at that point um at that point i was uh i called mark and said hey you know they're going to be shooting this in richmond that's right down the road from me and i'd be i'd love to be you know blah blah mark says well great i'll call don and we'll put you on the list or something so i was like eighth on the list or something mm-hmm. and they're only going to use maybe two trump two cornet players at that mm-hmm. point um and then this, the filming got started, got delay after delay after delay. There were rain delays, right? And one by one, the guys on the band would say, well, gee, I just can't do this. My daughter's getting married that weekend or, you know, we plan, we've got cruise tickets to go to blah, or whatever. So one by one, they, I hate to say they fell out, but, you know, they just had to get off their job, you know, yeah. and then he hired, put the next guy in there, blah, blah, blah. And then finally I got a call, you know what? Why don't you send us a full length photo? Never any audition stuff. I guess the reputation of the album or something preceded, you know, mm-hmm. and Don, you know, all done by reputation and, you know, no audition at all. But they do need a full length photo of you. Oh, mm-hmm. well, guess what that's about? You know, you have to look like a Civil War. Oh, yeah, true. Mm-hmm. Right? So if you're, if you're overweight, Civil yeah. War guys are not overweight. They were lucky to get fed. Yeah, Sleeping on the ground every night. Yeah, they're not sitting around you know, mm-hmm. eating, eating chips all day long and, you know, marching 20 miles a day, you know, right. oh my gosh, you know, a lot of those road force road marches were 20 miles a day after day after day, mm-hmm. you know. So, uh, so it sounded like none of these people that were involved with playing in the band for this movie were uh, as a group already associated with another band. It was purely just piecing together people from across the country. 
Well, it started off as Don Johnson's band or got members from his band. But one by one, you know, you know, some kind of surgery would come up. They, you know, they couldn't guarantee they could be there, you know. Um, so one by one, I'd kind of move up the pecking order. And it wasn't necessarily about ability or anything. It's just, you know, you, you want your front friends working on the set with you, you know, of course. Right. Um, so, the, so I finally get this phone call, say, hey, will you submit a full length photo? Well, I had one of Mark's uniforms that I maybe played. So I thought, well, let's go for it, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I... Uh, once I got that call, I started letting my poor beard grow, which was really just incredibly ugly. I have to admit it. So, so I, you know, got the horn. I had a horn, a civil horn. I got had a hat. I, I go, well, we'll just go for it. You know, sent some pictures in. They, they they're checking first of all because if your name is Kim, you could be of Asian descent. Well, yeah, true. or you could be female. Well, that's probably not going to work on a Civil War set, at least when there's soldiers involved, right? Right. <laughs> so I fit that description. You know. So was that uh, that picture that you posed with uh, the cornet? Was that the classical brass cornet that you had? Uh, yeah. Well, that's Mark's. That's Mark's cornet now. Remember, yeah, it, yeah, it, it ain't mine. Yeah, at that point. So I sent that in, and they said, "Okay, well, about two weeks later, they run a police background investigation on you. They want to know your birth date and all that stuff. Okay, just like a White House clearance. You know, it's essentially mm -hmm. what it is. Because you're going to be standing next to Steven Spielberg at some point, yeah. standing next to some live gunpowder. Mm -hmm. You know, there are a lot of chances that things could go wrong." <laughs> Yeah, yeah, right. Sure. I think we should actually backtrack for a, a quick second. I think we didn't actually uh, specify uh, what your actual role was to be in this film. I know we're, oh, we, can, I, we, can, we we say the band, but it's kind of an important band. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, well, we call it the Lincoln Band, but um, mm -hmm. yes, it's, the movie has a scene, as you may recall, that's an inaugural scene, and they use the train station there in uh, Petersburg because it was very similar to the. Uh, railroad station, train station in Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. in the 1860s. It's very, very similar. And it's still there, right? In yeah. Petersburg. Yeah, so portraying uh, an early uh, Marine Band impression, right? Correct. And um, I saw the artist renderings of the Marine Band uh, uniforms in the 1860s. And what they came up with was stunning, right? To, you know, what brass is, hat brass, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah. The little badge on your hat that says unit or U.S. Army or U.S. Marine. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and the hat at brass and the buttons on their uniforms, it was stunning how well they were made, and, you know, because it had the insignia of Marine Band on the buttons. Well, who's going to see that on a, yeah, you well, know, that's incredible. on a movie? Well, you'd have to be pretty close to the band to see that. It, it reminds me of my my nerdiness with the uh, with the Lord of the Rings. They talked about how they hand knitted chainmail for every single extra that was in that film, and it's like that's oh to totally uh, above and beyond what anybody's gonna oh. like see through the film. So yeah, yeah, that's cool that they stamp Marine Band on stuff. <laughs> oh, it's unbelievable! Just you know. Uh, anyway, um, so so they wanted uh, real authentic horns, not reproductions. Well, we fit that category, okay? Mm -hmm. So we get in, we're starting to shoot the first the first time, and they're talking to guys, the, the, the PA, the uh, producing production assistant comes, and she uh, she says, uh, sorry guys, you're gonna have to take your glasses off. Hmm. Uh, okay, no, no problem. These obviously are not 1860s glasses. Well, several guys had, um, frames that were made in the 1860s. They bought at antique stores, okay? Mm -hmm. Antique shops and stuff. They find them on vacation. Oh, stop. You know. And uh, so she said, I'm sorry. A couple of these guys, man, they are really passionate about this stuff. They know exactly when the, the glass frames were, oh my gosh, it goes on and on. So she said, I'm sorry, sir. I know those are made in the Civil War, but you don't understand. What they were worried about, I thought they were going to get into a fist fight because these guys are passionate about this stuff. You know, they want to tell you all about it. Yeah. But what it turns out, it was modern glass, of course. They were afraid it would reflect light oh. in, uh, in, a, in a way that was not typical. I mean, mm -hmm. I, that's how careful they are about stuff like it. It was stunning. Yeah, you know? well, yeah. Was, uh, was there somebody assigned to historical accuracy for the band in particular? or um, Not anybody on set that I knew of. Mm. I think they just trusted, um, well, yes and no. They trusted uh, my friend who was the consultant who was on the job just playing bass drum. He was actually a violinist, no, but he got on the scene. You know, he, he's kind of the consultant, so he, he gets to be on it if he can, so he's just playing bass drum. Um, and then Mark, of course, was there. So that, honestly, they had the best consultants in the business, really. Yeah, true. Yeah. They weren't brought in specifically, you know, as production people, but. Was the horn that you were playing uh, for that the Mark Elrod's bell front that you used for the classical brass album? 
no, uh, I used to. Uh, oh yeah, no, no. The one in the movie is um, over the shoulder. Gotcha. Was that one of Mark's also, or is that yes, uh, correct? Okay. Correct. How many how many days were you guys uh, there for shooting? Um, we did it all in one day, but for actual shooting. But you have to know you're there a full day ahead. You meet with hair and makeup people. You know, and they took one look at my scraggly beard and they're kind of rolling their eyes. Oh yeah, this, <laughs> this guy's gonna be fun. So they yeah, get yeah. you in there and then they take. Um, she had an iPad and she took pictures of me with all kinds of angles. Um, and all kinds of graphics she would put, you know, like sideburn would go down to here or whatever. Mm-hmm. And she sends it to um, a consultant in New York City. Then the word comes back, well, try the, it's like an M61 or something, uh, sideburns and the M63 goatee. So she goes over, she got a whole stack of drawers, right? Now this is all, this is outside under a tent. So this stuff's all totally portable. Mm-hmm. So she can go, she matches the color that matches my hair. And I, I, I was just stunned. Yeah, well. Right, so they shave all my stuff off. Of course, it looks so bad. Lost. <laughs> right? And that's where that came from, yeah. Gotcha. Now, the problem is, the problem is when you start playing, you know, you're moving your Amisher around. Yeah, true. It gets, you know, between every cut, some hair and makeup person <laughs> redoes your stash. So, you, yeah, know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to deal with that with rifle-carrying guys too often, right? right. Yeah, yeah, no, that's for sure. Yeah. Right. In, in preparation for the... Uh... For this interview, I went back and actually rewatched Lincoln. At, like I need an excuse. It's a, it's a great film and should oh, be, be should, should be watching it anyway. But uh, I noticed that for your guys' scene, uh, you guys are playing the tomb. We're coming, Father Abraham. Three hundred thousand more. Correct. Um, was that tune you guys playing on on set, or was that not even you guys playing, or or no, how did that live? That's us playing live. Okay. Cool. So, so, so there was no studio session to get that that music. Correct. Correct. We, I think, rehearsed uh, just kind of casually on our own because we wanted to sound good, you know, right, um, right. just a matter of our own pride. But there was no rehearsal time because they have to pay you for that. See, now the next issue is you may notice the crowd is singing along. Yeah. Okay. If they have a rehearsal, they have to be paid as talent instead of extras. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's just great how it goes, and you're paid at the LA rate, even though it's shot in Petersburg. Virginia. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Because wow. that's where the studio was headquartered. Yeah. Lots yeah, of yeah. hoops to jump through, I guess, when you're bringing that many people into it's, work. It, it's really, of course, the union involved and that, you know, some of that's good. It's, you know, uh, but you have people on stage and they're played at, I don't know, a dozen different rates, depending on what they're doing, you know. So in other words, if you're just a crowd, oh, <laughs> President Lincoln, oh, you know, whatever, you're paid at one rate. If you're actually singing, that's okay. But if there's a rehearsal, then now you're deemed musician instead of crowd noise, essentially, right? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that you guys were playing live and that's what they used, because that oh, yeah. just kind of, that, that to me really fits with what you were describing as, you know, their, their attention to detail oh, on the it, costume and the makeup was, and all that stuff. It was unbelievable. You know, I, I really, uh, it's really fun to see what they do, just creativity and dedication and artistry. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah a, a nice checkbook to back it up. Right. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, oh my sure. gosh. Yeah. Well, you know, Steven Spielberg puts his name on something, the money's going to come, you know, and sure. do it the way he wants to do it. So, yeah. right. And that film, or that scene, rather, where you guys are, are playing, that is a large scene. There's a lot of people involved in, of course, Daniel Day Lewis is there, you know, playing Lincoln. Were, right. Was, was there any editing tricks where you guys actually weren't? With Daniel Day Lewis, or well, were, were you near him, or how did that? How did that? We work? weren't that close to him, but was you know he's not a real tall guy, okay? And Lincoln, of course, was I don't know, six, six yeah. two. You guys, yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was tall, really yeah. tall. Yeah. So they had to find, you know, they had a, they had an uh, armed escort with him, soldiers. So they had to find soldiers that were shorter. To uh, make, so he didn't look, you know. Uh, but my gosh, what a talent! Unbelievable talent! Yeah. Did you get to meet him? Not personally. I met pretty much everybody else. So he, he keeps to himself. Hmm. You know, he, uh, he kind of wraps him, at least my experience around him. And you, if you hear him interviewed, you'll, you'll kind of see that too. He's, he mm-hmm. kind of seems to himself and really absorbs, you know. Instead of, seems like a real methodical actor. Oh, he's incredible. Yeah, I think he's into the whole method acting thing where if he's taking on a character, he tries to, you know, right. live like that character right. in preparation for the, for the project. He does a really, really thorough um, you know, what he does with voices and stuff is, is really pretty. Yeah. And I, uh, I was rewatching, as I just said, Lincoln in preparation for this, but then I had also watched, uh, just for fun 
rewatched Gangs of New York about a week ago. And of course, Daniel Day-Lewis is Bill, Bill the Butcher in that movie too. So yeah. going back and forth between uh, Daniel Day-Lewis and those two films, both set you know in the same year, essentially, right? They're both... Yeah. In uh, 1864-ish, around there. Look at the difference in the accents he had to assume. Yeah, it's incredible. I know. Yeah, he's he's really gifted. There's no question about that. Um, In terms of who was who with the band, was there anybody uh, on set that was designated as the band leader? uh, Well, that would have been... Were you guys all just... Sorry. Well, yeah, there was a drum major there, but he... uh, uh, it was really just kind of for show. Now he was a high school band director, so he knows what he's, he's he knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. But the person that was making the calls really was Don Don Johnson. Gotcha. So then I guess that person that was acting as drum major though of the band would have been uh, Francis Scala, maybe then who was well, the, that's uh, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. interesting. That's but not, in a, not case, a terrible gig to have playing Francis Scala in a Steven Spielberg movie. It could be worse <laughs> now, right? Yeah. <laughs> it could be worse, right? Uh, hey, let me go back, and, if you don't mind, um, yeah, qualifications to get on the band. I told you, first of all, um, the full-length photograph, you have to look the part, or at, least, or at least anything they can doctor up with hair and makeup is cool, but you know they can't take 50 pounds off of you or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, then we go through the police background investigation, okay? Mm-hmm. And this is something people ought to hear. Uh, there were a couple more steps. Uh, oh, then you fill out a form and say, I will not ever have my cell phone on the set. They don't want any pictures taken of Daniel Day Lewis sitting around with his collar open, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. pre before the pre the film, you know. So big big deal. You sign your life away, which is cool. We all get that. Yeah. The last thing you do, what would you think? What would you guess, guys? Probably a, a non disclosure agreement. You can't talk oh, about it until the film. No, comes that's out. part of the deal with the cell phone. Oh, right? gotcha, gotcha. Right. Yeah, you do not discuss any of that stuff, right? Yeah. The sexual harassment thing i don't know well that's part that's, that's all part of behavior how you act on the set yeah, right? I, I have no idea they check your facebook page oh okay. really yeah. so some of our younger listeners might want to know that might want to be aware of that so, you know they're finding somebody that says if somebody ever does that to me again i'm gonna i don't think you want this guy standing next to daniel day lewis or Steve. yeah yeah. Wow. They just something to keep in mind. Did they request permission to see it if yours was set to private, or did they just see what was uh, uh, available? I don't remember them requesting that back in those days. I think you could probably get away with that. I'm not sure what, what the deal is now. You know, there's some school systems that are starting to do that, and there's, you know, the technology questions are way ahead of the law, as you probably know. You right. know, that's incredible that there was so much background and due diligence done for members of the band that were in the film for about two minutes right so well, now you, now you wait, see why wait a minute. that was originally eight minutes <laughs> <laughs> you're taking six minutes of my fable no, yeah because okay. the film was i don't know like four hours at one point and of course that's yeah, not yeah. Work so so of course they cut the band right <laughs> well they yeah maybe we, we sounded fabulous let's face it we sounded fabulous but you know the story <laughs> survives without all of that right that's yeah. true that's true maybe there's some director's cut somewhere where that scene is longer there you go. Yeah. So, did you guys have other tunes that you were performing besides Father Abraham? Or that was it. it? Hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Hmm. Uh, you were mentioning obviously all the people involved with the in the band world that were helping you out. Do you recall if Paul Mayberry was involved in this project as well? You know, that name came up. I don't know if he was in on the first level and maybe had to bow out because of the, 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 the scene filming got moved back farther and farther and farther, you know, because of rain delays. And it was in Richmond, which is a big city. It's not New York City, but, yeah. you know, uh, there were certain days they couldn't film because of, uh, of stuff going on in the city. You know, mm. it got pushed back. And then finally, I think it got moved to Petersburg. I'm not sure they were intending to film there originally. Right, which meant more delays. All the equipment has to be moved down there, you know. Mm-hmm. And so people were re- redoing their life month after month to stay on this film, you know. Yeah. And I fortunately had the flexibility, you know, to just go do it, you know. Yeah, yeah. During this time, uh, were you still with the Army Band when this film was going? No, I'd been out of the band about two years, Chris. Gotcha. Um, Very cool. So I really could do it kind of on a minute's notice. And I told him that, hey, if something comes up, you know, call me. I'm there in 90 minutes, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. I told you guys how I got on the film. They never asked me to come and audition to play a part. It was all done by reputation. Mm-hmm. People I knew, uh, there again, like we were talking about before how that album came about, you'd be amazed at the opportunities people turn away by acting mean or doing something that's maybe dishonest or, you know. So, again, 
a free Sunday school lesson, but that's how it happened. You know, I, I yeah. never played a note in any kind of audition. We all get cranked up playing excerpts and, and that's cool uh, in certain environments, but some things aren't done that way. You know, yeah. you're done yeah. by reputation and background and people that worked with you for t- 10 years or 20 years. They know you'll be on time. They know you can handle pressure. You, they know you'll be there at 4 a.m. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and won't wow. be whining about it, you know, get your, to get your hair on. Yeah, yeah. Is that your call time for the film was four? Yeah. Yeah. We had to be there. I mean, you go through hours of makeup and all that stuff by the time you get everybody in there, you know. So even if you go at, you know, at four o'clock, you know, it takes them till six to get everybody done. You just sit around and enjoy your makeup. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hold up your new hairpiece, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that's super important that, you know, a lot of this stuff is more than, you know, what you can do on the horn. You know, you have to have a good attitude behind it and, and all that stuff. That's a super important message. Well, it was, uh, it was really cold that morning. It was like upper thirties, as I recall, when we started filming at seven, mm-hmm. you know? And so, I mean, there's intonation problems. You guys know all this stuff, but there's also, you know, in some jobs there'd be people complaining, why do we, you know, well, that's it. That's how it works. Yeah. You say yes or no, you can, you know, smile or grumble, whatever you want to do. But if you're grumbling, there may be some people that just aren't real happy being around you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. for sure. It's a high pressure in some ways, you know, the music is, you know, real simple, but it's not about that. It's about just being professional, being on time and cheering people on. If they ask you to play second part instead of first part or whatever, you say, bet you bet. Mm-hmm. And you say, I'm going to make it sound like a million bucks too. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> attitude, attitude. For sure. Right. Absolutely. How was the food on set? Oh, it was, oh my gosh. It was fabulous. Oh my gosh. And I, now I didn't know her at the time. I, I have a friend in uh, the Los Angeles area who does nothing but catering for movie sets. Mm-hmm. And just talking to her, you know, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Was it all oh, civil, yeah. civil War hardtack and coffee? or yeah. No. Oh, it was great. A lot of vegetarian stuff, you know. There you go. Right. Yep. Oh, fantastic. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, don't, they don't mess around, at least not with Steven Spielberg. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, guess, I guess he can get whatever he wants on that table. Well, by the time he's, you know, after, you know, after uh, several of the movies, you know, you, it's just you know, the budget for something like that's huge guys. It's just unbelievable. All the stuff, yeah. you know, they bring in, uh, they had horses there, you know, I, so now they have to have horse trainers. They have to have people from PETA watching them, make sure they're not uh-huh. ill-treated and, you know, and uh, they might as well be union horses the way they're treated. They got, yeah, yeah. they've got pretty much as much rights as you do, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. Did you yeah. get a chance to meet Spielberg while you were filming? Not then. I met him. Believe this. Uh, believe it or not, I met him at the two month the unknown soldiers. I I like to say I played taps for him. <laughs> he, was there, he was there. It might have been like on the army birthday or something because Private Ryan had just come out. Hmm. Oh, okay, gotcha. So this was before you were uh, associated with the Lincoln film, then. I yes, correct, mm-hmm. correct, very cool. And then... um, so he would you know is 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 an honor accorded to somebody who's really been a friend to the army. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did uh, really great public relations work for the army and just you know stuff those people go through. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Even though it's World, World War II makes us think about how we we should honor our military. You know, mm-hmm. so yeah, they accorded him that honor. So I got to talk with him a little bit. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and then you, I know you have a picture in your office at George Mason of you standing with the band next to Spielberg as well. Was was that taken? Uh, the day of filming for the movie? What you probably saw in my office um, was one we did at Gettysburg with Steven Spielberg. We went up there for the the dedication of what's the book uh, by the female author about Lincoln and... Uh, a team of Rivals. Team of Rivals. Yeah. Team of Rivals, yeah. yeah. Honoring her and him just for what they'd done for Civil War historians and how much they'd helped bring the Civil War back to life. So are those the same people that were involved in... Lincoln's band for the Lincoln movie that were asked th- asked to be involved with Gettysburg. I think we had at least one guy I know was different, but it was basically the same people. You know, again, you get people that have you know just job requirements they can't get out of or family commitments. You know, mm-hmm. was that the only other time that that band was back together uh, after filming? No, we were together a couple of other times. We played something in Richmond. I can't remember what it was. Some kind of celebration down there for the for the governor or something. We played at International Trauma Guild once, you know. So we got together. Uh, now, they did a lot of stuff without me. As it turns out, Don bought the uniforms from the movie company. Oh, wow. After the movie shooting. They have to wait, I don't know, six months or a year or something. You know, they don't want those things just showing up in yeah, pawn yeah. shops, you know, and stuff yeah, like that. of course. 
So he was able to work some kind of deal to buy all of them. So he actually had owned them. Yeah. So that's also nice. He was able to get those. Was, I would assume that after a film like that, it, it would probably be more common practice to just throw this stuff out. So it's so it's good that you know it's it's with somebody that appreciates it and is able to use it. You know, going right. forward. Right. And then well, they had to wait a year or something. I can't remember. There was some kind of stipulation. Yeah, yeah. You know, they wanted sense. the gloss of the movie production and also the, you know, all the, the Grammys and all that stuff. I mean, all the awards to be over with before yeah, they started yeah. to appear somewhere. You know, definitely that makes right. sense. And then uh, it might have been before the microphone was on before we actually started the interview. But then you're also talking about how, uh, in addition to you know the Lincoln film and the performances associated with that after the fact, you've also performed. Uh, on your period cornet and and then some other Civil War band work also, uh-huh. right? Uh, was were there other bands or other performances that you were involved with that weren't uh, that Lincoln's own band after the film? Um, I've done a, I did a couple other things with the Lincoln band. Like I think we played well. We did play an Obama some kind of um, inaugural gala. I can't remember exactly what it was, but. Um, but I had a little bit of civil war with the, I guess the Columbia band, Columbia concert band with Vince DiMartino. You guys know who that name? Uh, I know him as a composer. I think. Oh no, that's Anthony. No, never mind. Yeah, no, he's <laughs> a totally a, different person. <laughs> he's a player, quite a jazz player, very, very versatile player. So I did a couple of things with them, recording with them. Um, I guess I, that's about it, I guess, over the years. Awesome, and and all this is kind of sound like it was more just coincidental. Uh, opportunities in terms of classical brasses album and the Lincoln film, right? Right, right. Yeah, and again, cool. it's people you know that like to work with you, you know. So yeah. if they bring something to DC, they can't bring all their players up from Kentucky. Maybe they can't afford to, or they, you know, so they hire local guys. They know, you know. Right. What would you say your relationship is now with Civil War brass music and that that time period? Uh, I, I'd like to be doing more with it. To tell you the truth, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I've just been torn, you know, I run the national trumpet competition, you know, I raised, spend so much time raising money. I don't have a lot of time to go out and promote civil war stuff or get on the phone and call people, you know, but usually when I'm asked, if I can work it out, I do it, you know. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Elbrock for coming on to the podcast with us this afternoon to talk. It was awesome hearing your your insight into the recording project for classical brass, but then also your experience with the Lincoln film. So thank you so much for, for talking with us. My pleasure. It's been fun. And, uh, you know, as we go through this COVID, uh, you know, all this, all the stuff that has to be done uh, remotely, as, as you guys know, that's one of the things I really love about my studio at George Mason University. You know, we're doing a couple of projects virtually and we forget how much we enjoy being together in ensembles. Yeah, right. definitely. Yeah, yeah. It, it means a lot, and you don't realize what you have until it's oh, gone. Well, my, my guys realize, and I think that's why they're so willing and interested in doing this. And, you know, how many times have I gone by the studio where the Civil War band, the Civil War quintet's working right outside my studio, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, I know you guys know this, but George Mason University is really sort of a wonderful universal hub for all kinds of players. I mean, no matter how how interested you are in jazz, you know, if you really want to go for like a competition level solo player, which maybe hopefully will lead to an orchestra job or service band job, uh, or now civil war. And I've worked with, uh, talked with Mike, Dr. Mike Nickens is, uh, I know you guys know him, uh, mm-hmm. but he's really, really interested in civil war stuff. But, uh, well, yeah, that's great. So th- extra special thanks to Dr. Mike Nickens, a faculty colleague with me at the George Mason university here in suburban uh, Washington, DC in Fairfax County. Uh, we have, oh my gosh, well, of course, we're right there next to the Smithsonian. There's so much history that's involved for anybody who's interested in historical instruments as well, you know. Definitely. Yeah, so that's great. Uh, working with all the trumpet guys at, at Mason has been a real treat. What else uh, do you have going on? What else are you involved with in uh, in the trumpet world where people well, can find you? Yeah, well, thanks for in, uh, asking, uh, Steve. Uh, my biggest passion is actually having created the National Trumpet Competition. And when we first created it at George Mason, we had maybe 40 people that showed up the first year. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, you know, we're going to call this national and see what happened. And gosh darn it, we had almost 800 people. Uh, well, it would have come had we not crashed because of COVID, right? Right. Um, and it's done more for uh, just the process of putting a uh, recording together. It's done more for studios around the country than than I would have ever imagined. 
plus the level of playing and the number of works that are being malcommissioned to be performed and premiered at National Trauma Competition is off the charts. So we have a website, if, if you want to look at it, nationaltrumpetcomp.org, that has literally hundreds of master classes by all kinds of performers we've had there live, like Doc Severinsen and Maynard Ferguson and Phil Smith and Canadian Brass and Minoso Brass and Oh My Coats, on and on. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them have donated their time and done master classes, which you can download for free. We're, we're like an online university. So we're hoping be helping other generations. And we've had people, I've got questions from people, students in Turkey, you know, wondering about stuff from the trumpet competition. So it's really a universal language and it's a universal training ground for players. So Neat. And we'll definitely have links to all of this stuff, everything we've mentioned in the episode. We'll have it up on our website. Uh, so if you missed it during the episode, you can find it there. All right. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Arterbrock. Stay healthy, stay safe, and thank you again. You guys, and stay musical and stay professional. You guys are wonderful to work with. Great. Well, that was a fantastic conversation. Thanks so much to Dr. Edelbrock for turning on the computer and talking to us today. We know he was with his family, so we really appreciate him taking the time um, to talk about his experiences with us. If you like what you heard and like what you've heard in the past from us, um, it would really help if you subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Um, most people, it seems like, are listening on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can find us there uh, or any other of the podcast streaming apps. We're also on YouTube. We upload these episodes there, and we know a lot of you are finding us there. Um, If you have questions about anything you heard in the episode, you can email us at eabb.podcast at gmail.com. And as always, we'll have a show notes page on our website. That's eabbpodcast.com. You can find the show notes pages there, uh, and they'll have more information and more links to things we mentioned in the episode. Be sure to check out our friends addressing Gettysburg podcast and history tunes. Those projects will be listed in our show notes page as well. This episode's featured album is Honor to Our Soldiers by Classical Brass. That is the album that was mentioned during the interview towards the beginning with Dr. Dennis Edelbrock uh, as one of the cornetists in that project. So be sure to check our show notes page where we break down and give you some additional information about that album. Again, that is Honor to Our Soldiers by Classical Brass. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next week.